0: We're doing a little metaphor. No, it's not too inventive, but it's what I'm doing today. All right, this is our life, and what do most of us do with our life? We begin to start filling it up: school, work, relationships, and then you know it's it's going along pretty good. So we think, well, you know, I could do more. I could. I could add on some volunteer work. I could do some stuff in my church. I could sing in a band. I could be in a choir. And, you know, it's starting to, to get there. And then we're sort of like, well, you know, everybody else, everybody else is just seems so busy all the time. I think I need to, you know, maybe I need to add a few more things. And then it feels sort of like that. I wanted to not have the bowl around it, but I knew that folks would not be happy with me spilling water on the floor, so, because I thought that would be more dramatic. What happens when your life is so full that nothing else can go in? It just falls over the top and it feels overwhelming, and our lives feel like they're unmanageable. Oftentimes we, we fill our lives with wonderful things, with, with good things, and I think we do that because when our lives feel like this, when they feel empty, we get a little bit freaked out because everybody else's lives seem so full and rich and wonderful. I mean, just look on Facebook or, or talk to somebody. Things are going so wonderfully for them. If my life is empty, if I'm not doing all these things, then my life must not really have much matter to it. Sometimes, when our lives are full, something happens to us that empties us. A child gets sick, a mother or a father dies. We find some sort of illness inside of us. Or we create one because we feel so empty. We, we want to fill up with something, and so, and so we, we begin to fill up with drugs or alcohol. Or we begin to fill up with some sort of internet addiction. Or we, or we fill up with worry. Or we fill up with anything that we think will, will make us whole and make us feel better and maybe forget about our emptiness for a while. Some of you know my story. I grew up in a very stable household. Two parents who were still married to each other. It's a pretty much a miracle. My mom will be 80 this year. It's their 60th anniversary this year. It's kind of a rare thing these days. But for whatever reason, at 18, I decided it was time to get married. And by 20, I was divorced. And by the time I was 21 and a half, I had survived two suicide attempts and had spent a week in um, a psychiatric ward. Good times. My wife felt really empty. I came out of that psych ward with no diagnosis and no treatment plan, which is not something unusual these days. It still happens. That was over 25 years ago. That still happens today right here in Richmond, Virginia. I felt like my life was empty. And it was not until a number of years later that I was diagnosed with clinical depression. Go figure, right? What, what else could it be? And so, of course, how we treat that now is, okay, well, well since you, you feel this emptiness, here's a pill, go find a therapist, good luck. And so I did that for like 15 years. And during, during that time, in between time, before I was diagnosed, I, I got remarried. And then after I was diagnosed, we started having children. So my life started to, you know, fill up. But there were definitely times when I felt completely empty inside. And I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it because, you know, I'm a man. And men are supposed to deal. I mean, it was okay to cry in our family, but to show weakness, maybe not so much. And depression felt like a weakness to me. I mean, and who do you want to burden with that? My wife was already having to deal with it on on a regular basis. I'm going to share that with friends. I'm going to share that with family. It wasn't until after I really started changing my life for the better that I actually had a conversation with my father and with my brother about it and found out, guess what? My brother had been on medication for years. My father used natural medications like St. John's wort because he thought that was better than being on some pill. My silence in that emptiness probably kept me in the darkness. And so part of my message here today is, is if you're experiencing something that, that feels shameful or troubling or hurtful and, and you're worried about burdening someone um, with that, I hear you, I feel you. There are people who want to talk to you, including me. But then later, and I say later because oftentimes it's not in the emptiness. It's not often in the emptiness that we find the gift of emptiness. So I don't want to sound all Pollyanna about it. Like, oh, if if you feel empty, if you feel like your life doesn't have purpose, you feel like this. You know, there's a gift coming. I don't want to, I, don't, I mean, yes, I believe that, but, but I don't know that in the midst of it that it's ever going to feel that way. But it was after the fact then, as I began to look back and as I began to study what depression is and how it affects people and how it affected me in particular, that I began to see that it was a real gift. Not that I want to experience it all the time, that's not what I mean but that God was creating space in me to receive things in a different way, to be able to be with people in a different way. God was, in a, in a way, and I, and, I don't, and I want to be very careful about how I use this language, but I'm going to use it this way. I was, I was being made humble so that I could be emptied to be filled with God's Spirit so that I could let go of the control that I wanted in my life to be opened up to allow God to fill me with God's Spirit. And that doesn't mean that I went to some higher spiritual plane. Doesn't mean that you know I'm, I'm. God is communing with me every day, and I sit in a you know I sit in a white robe and, and you know with crossed legs in the morning and have some sort of levitation experience. I don't, I don't mean it that way, but but when when I experience those times now of being down and or or if I'm edging into that depression. For me, I always say, what am I being taught here? What is the gift that's coming out? What do I need to pay attention to? And I'll tell you what, for me personally, most of the time it is, Joel, you're trying to put, do too much with too much control. Let go and let me work. Trust that I am in the midst of your life. I mean let's just just go with me on this what if Jesus in his human infinite wisdom had said you know what God I don't need to go to Jerusalem I'd rather stay away from that place that's not for me I know I know they're gonna kill me and I can do a lot more I can do a lot better stuff out here I mean I can heal people I can help them come to know you better and I can, just do, I, can do, I can do that for years and years, right? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that better? Isn't that, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be what, what I should be doing? And, and shouldn't I make sure that all these disciples have their act together? And, and shouldn't I be all part of that? Again, go with me here. I mean, imagine if he had said, no, I've got this. God, not your way, my way. We wouldn't necessarily know about the gift of emptiness. Because the cross and Jesus' death is the clearest facing of absolute emptiness that I think we have. And it was not as if he walked in there and said, I got this. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus, our Savior, The example and the perfecter of our faith, even he had those moments of what is going to happen here? Where are you, God? And God took that and vindicated it in raising him from the dead to show us. That even when we face the abyss, even when we face the most empty time in our lives, that God is present with us in Jesus Christ and that beyond all of that, there is a new life to be had. There is a new life to be had. And I know we all struggle with the emptiness. <clears throat> Just this week, I thought it was really interesting that, um, if, you, if you saw the news that, that all these quite wealthy and famous people um, have gotten caught um, basically paying for their kids to get into college. And I was like, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because most of us, and I'll, I'll, I'm not trying to speak for all of us, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Some of us, we look at these celebrities, we look at these pro athletes, we look at these folks and we go, man, they won the lottery, they've got it made, their life must be really, really great. They must not be worried about the things that I'm worried about. Well, here are these beautiful, talented, wealthy people looked up to in our society, and what are they worried about? My kid's not going to get into UCLA, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, so I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen, including bribe people. Huh. Huh. Maybe worried about what it looks like, how they're going to be perceived, is part of the emptiness that they're trying to fill there. I know no one in here has ever felt that way. There are people in the world today who feel so empty that they will grab onto any sort of ideology. And especially when you're feeling empty, it is a great way to feel better to make another group of people your enemy. We have another mass shooting this time in Australia. And if you read about this young man, or is it New Zealand? Sorry. My brother just visited both, so I've got him on the brain. But if you read the story of this young man, I mean, he, he was in great health. He was a, had been a personal trainer and a bodybuilder and he'd, he'd, he um, done Ironmans. His father had competed in Ironmans in Hawaii and in other places. So, I mean, these, these were, I mean, these were pretty superior athletes in some way, but then his father died and he left his job. And he became a different person. He started filling his emptiness, in my opinion, with hatred for people who weren't white. And he began living in an internet world of people who hated on other races. And he filled his emptiness with planning a horrific act and broadcasting it live because that would get more views. Filling emptiness with more emptiness. And that's the gift that we as the church have to bring to this world is that the good news of God, the good news that death is not the end, that emptiness is not who you are, that there is a gift there, that, that emptiness can open you up, not not for all these horrible, evil things, these ways to manipulate and control, but to open you up to being more generous and more gracious and more loving and more spiritually filled with the Spirit so that you can give of your more completely, more holy, in everything that you do. It's counterintuitive, but that is the way that God works so much of the time. In the Scripture, we see this all the time. God is trying to take our perspective and turn it inside out. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. It's upside down and inside out. And we are the ones who get to share that message with others as we begin to be embraced by the love of God even in our uncertainty, even in our emptiness. In the scripture it says, and I've always had trouble with this scripture, whoever tries to preserve their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will preserve it. I think this some way, is in some way a way to begin to unpack this verse is to talk about those of us that try to cling to the, to making our, making our life full, trying to fill it with absolutely as much as we can so that we never have to be empty. We never have to get hurt. We never have to not be busy. We never have to face pain. If we keep trying to fill it that way, we're going to lose our life. Our life's going to be, pass us by. And we will not have a moment, have a time of emptiness to be filled with God's spirit. To be humbled, meaning put in right relationship with God so that we might be a blessing to those in our family, to those in our church, to those in our community, to those in our world. We are the ones who've been given this message and we are the ones who are called to bring it out, to acknowledge the emptiness, not to say, oh, everything's just fine, but to say, things may not be fine, but I am with you. God is with you. I will walk with you on this journey through the dark wood because Jesus did and he came out on the other side. With a new life. There's an old saying that says if you're going through hell, just keep on walking. Because hell has boundaries, there's something good coming.